0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 2, Episode 16. Today is Thursday, May the 17th. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for This Week in Voice, as well as the Voice First Roundtable, is St. Louis, Missouri-based Voice XP, I talk about Voice XP every week. They are great friends of the show, great friends of voice technology in general. They have just completed their uh, St. Louis-based incubator that they were part of, um, and they just won some great new business from TiVo developing their Alexa skill for them. If you need an Alexa skill developed, a Google Home Action, if you need help navigating the voice technology space, I encourage you to reach out to VoiceXP, www.voicexp.com, Bob Stolzberg, Mark Tucker, Bonnie Snyder. Reach out to them, have a conversation, learn more about the space, figure out what you need to be doing. You'll be glad that you did. We have a great panel this week and really excited to have two folks from Clink on the show, Helen Yu, Emma Furlong, say Hello.
1: Hi, um, I'm Emma from Clink, head of content strategy there, and I'm, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us.
2: Hello, this is Helen Yu. I'm a chief gross officer at Clink. Um, honored to be here.
0: Uh, share with us, what is Clink? What do you do? And you were sharing with me before the show, you know, you've got your start sort of in the financial realm, but now you're branching out a little bit. Share, share with me in the audience uh, everything about what y'all do over at Clink.
1: Yeah, so Clink is a conversational AI company that started in 2015 um, with the mission to redefine the experience of interacting with technology through voice. Uh, we uh, came out of the University of Michigan um, Computer Science Department. It was two professors in, of computer science at the University of Michigan, Dr. Jason Mars and Dr. Lingjia Tang, and two of their PhD students, um, Dr. Mike Lorenzano and Dr. Johan Hosswald who created the world's first open source uh, virtual personal assistant, which is now widely recognized as um, kind of democratizing conversational AI. Um, And when that was released, we received a national attention specifically within the financial industry. And so we decided to um, take the project from something open source to a platform that we could actually put in the hands of the enterprise to wield conversational AI for their customers. Um, and so we're, we're expanding rapidly. Uh, and we started, like I mentioned, with four people, and we're about 70 now. So headquartered in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and um, ready and hoping to redefine experiences for people with voice all across the world.
0: Thank you. That, that was excellent. Thank you for that information. And yeah, what y'all are doing, it looks uh, fascinating. Um, just from the standpoint of applying conversational AI to finance. I think that's going to change a lot of people's lives. Um, That's exciting work to be in. Thank you both for joining us today. We also have Doug Schumacher on the show. Doug, say hello. Hello, Bradley. Great to be talking with you. Great to be speaking with you as well. So I was privileged to be invited by you to be on Homie and Lexi last week. That was a lot of fun. Share with us uh, a little bit about what you do professionally share with us what you're doing with homie and lexi give us the whole deal
3: yeah absolutely so uh, I, and that was that was a blast i really enjoyed that episode a lot um so as far as like what i'm doing with homie and lexi i'm the i created it writer producer uh produce a weekly episode of that and uh, it, it's about it's a two minute short short form comedy if you haven't heard it and it just about two voice bots having their uh, their, their uh, strategies and figuring out how to how to survive in a human world um, outside of that, uh, I have a background in tr- both traditional and digital marketing, a lot of experience with brand and product development work as well as the, the marketing to then support those products and i've always you know, as a digital marketer,' always interested in the next new thing and uh, as I was exploring AI, which you know, seemed pretty logical that it was going to have a big impact on marketing. I started focusing on the voice space. And and Homie and Lexi was really how I sort of decided to join the conversation, as they say, in the voice space. Um as far as you know what I'm doing now, I, I do a lot of digital marketing consulting, and I also have a, a social media content analytics tool, uh, Zoom, which uh, which uh is uh, you know something I'm applying myself
0: to as well. Thank you for that. Yeah, homie and Lexi uh is a hit. Uh it, it's a, it's a trip, it's a lot of fun to listen to thanks uh yeah great work with that we've enjoyed having it be sort of the exclamation mark on this week in voice um, for the last few weeks Uh, we appreciate you being gracious enough to to allow us to do that and uh, if you haven't figured it out from us sitting here talking homie and lexi is at the end of this week in voice listen past the end music to the show you will hear the next episode um, so it's real simple, <laughs> real simple to check it out. Doug, thank you for joining us this week.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's been great being part of uh, this week in voice with uh, Homie and as well.
0: We appreciate that. With that, we'll get to the news. If I can call it news, I don't know what this is. I went away for a couple of days and y'all came up with some wax stuff, apparently, this Yanny and Laurel thing. So, <laughs> as I write uh, in the uh, news stories, the internet got bored this week. Somebody went and found some clip from 2007 and set off an internet-wide furor over what this is actually saying. And there are some interesting implications here for voice technology, some interesting scientific aspects to this. Doug, I want to start with you. Story One and one A both here deal with this Yanni versus Laurel thing. Did you pay any attention to this? Do you care first of all, which one is it? Is it Yanni or is it Laurel? Uh, do you care about this? Should I care about this or should anybody else care about this? Give me your take <laughs>
3: well first of all i 'm in camp yanni so that's uh, that's where i uh, that 's what I heard um, you know it 's interesting I mean you know of course, I think maybe a couple of the articles reference the dress the 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 blue and black versus gold and white dress a few years ago. And, you know, I, I think you can make what you want out of it. I mean, it, clearly there were a, a lot of environmental factors involved in this. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it, I think that's a lot to be considered. I, there was an article in The Atlantic that talked about, you know, by a linguist that said just even reading the word Yanni first in that test could have influenced people. Um, but I, I think the for me, the interesting thing around this is this addresses the idea of, of confusion in voice, and, and and something that goes beyond just word and speech recognition, and and you know we're early in the game on this, and there's a lot to be discovered about user experience in voice, uh, but it seems like we spend a lot of time talking in this industry talking about how the machines understand us, but I think there's an there's a flip side of that, which is how we understand the machines, and you know confusion. If you compare this to a screen environment where yeah i'm reading something and if i get confused or you know if i if i'm reading a screen think about you know when you're reading a screen and, and you want to you, know, you didn't understand something you want to jump back it takes you like a nanosecond to jump back and look at something whereas in voice i don't care whether it's a voice app or listening to a podcast the idea of going back and trying to get clarification on something that you didn't understand is problematic and as you start to apply that to especially with something like e-commerce, and you've got a situation where people are in a conversion funnel and, you know, there's confusion that comes up. That's, you know, that's a conversion. The biggest enemy is confusion. So I think, I think there are a lot of potential implications around that. And just it's a, it's a really good reminder that people aren't always going to hear what you think they hear or, you know, maybe their neighbor's car alarm just went off and, and, and blocked their, uh, their, uh, their ability to hear. So it, it brings up the idea of, you know, how are we going to clarify something if there is confusion? I think that's an important point to take away from this.
0: Uh, that's great. And, uh, and my wife always tells me that I never hear what she's saying. So I think that's a separate problem. <laughs> I don't think that's this. Uh, yeah. And I don't think it's very scientific either. Uh, but, uh, uh, Helen and Emma, Helen, I want to start with you. And then Emma, I'll go to you. I want to get uh, your take on this as well. Uh, are you on Team Yanni, Team Laurel? Um, do you see uh, merit in discussing this as much as we have, or do you think this is just sort of a nothing thing? Give me, give me your thoughts. Helen, I'll start with you and then Emma.
2: Sure, Bradley. Um, first of all, I am in the same camp as Doug right? Yanni Camp. I did not really pay much attention to that, but as I dive into that and what I learned from this is the user experience, right? And you think about the same word, it could be heard by different people differently so that's an indication of the power of uh, the technology we have and then it could be scientific there's a frequency of the voice that could be the root cause of this and then on top of that, it could be quality of the headphone and uh, uh, whatever uh, machine we use. Um, so what's really matters to us as a technology company, how do you really create a technology to fine tune and improve the user experience so it's consistent regardless of whatever machine they use, regardless how they hear uh, the voice. And then, so that's what the, the company that should really drive towards it was a good learning process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and going off of what Helen said, well, first of all, I was t- uh, team Yanny as well. Um, but I think that the key thing to, to think about here is that when we're actually interacting with, with voice assistants or interacting through our voice, it's unlikely that we're going to be saying one word. We're most likely going to be speaking in, in sentences or phrases. And so what's key here is having an AI that understands context and can take the full meaning of a sentence at its value as an entity rather than individual words and keywords. And so I imagine a scenario in which someone said, Hey, I want to take my friend Yanni out to dinner tonight. How much can I afford to spend on this? And it wouldn't really matter if, if the AI heard Yanni or if the, if the, if the human that was saying or asking that question meant Yanni or Laurel, because what's important in that sentence is how much they can afford to spend on dinner. And so I think the contextual awareness is so so critical with conversational AI when it comes to um, how variable our voices and our interpretation of voice can be.
0: That's some great commentary on that. And by the way, well, in the show notes, in the news, I link to a tool that the New York Times put together where you can dial this knob left or right and hear the spectrum of Yanny versus Laurel. I thought that was very interesting. And for me, I had to turn that thing way, way to the extreme to hear Yanni. All I could hear was Laurel. <laughs> so wow. it's inter- it's interesting to hear y'all say, all you heard was Yanni because I'm like, This is ridiculous. This doesn't say Yanny. What are these people talking about? (laughs)
3: I I love that slider I thought that was really fascinating Uh, you know I I, back to the kind of the environmental aspect of this I noticed that if I started at one end of the spectrum and slowly nudged it to the other I could hear you know if I just if I just went in uh, went in uh, cold I heard and it was right in the center position I heard Yanni, but if I started at the uh, at the uh, laurel side I could slowly move it up and get two or three notches into Yanni and still be hearing laurel and I thought that was a really great example of how this worked.
0: Yeah, I don't know how they decided to create that tool. But it is pretty neat that they did. And uh, I I managed to get it to the precise point where I could sort of hear both. It was just it was fun to play with. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm on Team Laurel. Sorry, guys. Um,
3: (laughs) One one fascinating little thing on this I noticed was this went uh, Chloe, I think it was posted this at something like 730pm on the 14th. And the next day, there was a t shirt on Amazon selling team yanny t-shirts
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah never uh never underestimate people's ability to mon to attempt to monetize something <laughs> um yeah that's great so this is uh this is a fun one to start out with and uh, uh nothing wrong with that I, I suspect that everything that y'all touched on you touched on some really fascinating stuff um you know emma what you pointed out about the fact that Our conversations are not words, they're sentences, they're paragraphs, uh, they're they're themes and larger ideas. And so uh, as long as an AI can understand context, we ought to be good. I think that's a great, great thing to take away from this. Great uh, commentary all the way around. We will move on to story number two this week. It's our voicebot.ai story of the week. Voicebot.ai, giving voice to a revolution. Great site for news commentary, and primary research. Brett Kinsella, Ava Muchler, and their crew do a fantastic job. 23% of moms own smart speakers, up 283% since early 2017. This was in honor of Mother's Day, which was on Sunday. This story, I think it hits on a lot of important things, but it also raises some questions as well. And Clink crew, I want to start with you. And whoever wants to go first, uh, feel free. I want to get your thoughts on what you took away from this story, and yeah, I'll just start there. What what was your take uh, when you took a look at this voicebot that, that AI story?
2: You know, being a mother of two, I can so relate to the story. I'm not surprised to hear uh, moms are the you know early adopters among others. If you look at the total population in the U S. 252 million. Um, Among them, smart speaker owners, about 18.9% or less than 19%. The reality is the market reach today is not really currently uniform across genders, right? Uh, The owners, majority owners is really male uh, today. That's 15% higher than the female. However, with that, most of the female adopters are mothers there's a reason for that because being a mother you constantly on the go you have to be able to multitask um so what's more interesting to me is that it's not about what we can do at home we all have the home, I have Amazon Echo at home, I can really when, really ask her to put, take some notes for me, or you know, while I'm cooking, or I can really ask her to wake me up wake my son up while I'm on the road, um, but what's more interesting to me is a, what can I do beyond just being at home Right. as soon as I leave my home I will, I'm driving my car can, can that consistent experience exist elsewhere? As I, I drive the car, I want to play music, or I also go to the bank, right? I want to really uh, take some cash out. So if that experience can be consistent regardless of where I'm at, um, you know, wh- whatever I do, that to me would be the next generation of innovation.
1: To echo Helen's point, I think it's not surprising to me at all that, you know, mothers are, are becoming first adopters or among the group of first adopters of voice technology, considering how much mothers on a daily basis have to juggle. I, I think the, the point about this kind of seamless integration of all of our connected devices, providing a consistent, consistent experience across them. So if you're at home and you're, you're talking to your Alexa, hey, can you, um, you know, I, I want to I add these three items to my grocery list, and then you get in your car, and, you know, talking to your car right away to get directions to the nearest grocery store that can get you those items, right? It's that it's that seamless experience that, it, that we're all searching for. And it, it's definitely the premise of conversational AI, but there's a lot of complication and a lot of advanced technology that goes into creating that seamless experience. Um, and it's really fascinating the um, amount of natural language understanding and deep le- learning that's required to... Um, maintain the context of a conversation from, from one device to another is really where the innovation is happening. Right. So um, I think having a platform that enables you to create that experience and have, have that consistent voice speaking back to you is crucial. And having, having the ability to host all of that in one place is also really key.
3: I felt like this was a really interesting example, a great demonstration of Amazon's power in their ability to uh, market and distribute product. Um, you know, the stat that stood out to me was the 54% of moms surveyed had Amazon Prime accounts. And, you know, if you take the the busy mom scenario that Helen and Emma were just describing and you, you think about, you know, I think, I think it must be 70% of the time I log on to Amazon that upper masthead is telling me something about Echo, it's selling me some aspect of the Echo device. And so, you know, you have this scenario where, uh, you know, you're a busy mom, you're on Amazon, you love that brand, you have Prime, and here they're, you know, here they're offering a device that you've heard some buzz about, it's easy to purchase, uh, you know, it's from a company that you're already doing business with. I mean, it is just one of the most seamless sales opportunities that is out there. And I think, you know, that that's really was I, what I thought was an interesting part of this is just, you know, this demonstration of how effectively Amazon can take a product and distribute it to a target audience. And, you know, you compare that to, uh, to you know, the Google store uh, shopping experience, it's just night
0: and day. So the way our household works, if I bought a smart speaker and brought it home, there was no prior conversation about it. I just unilaterally made a decision to do that. I, I probably wouldn't do that. I wouldn't put it past me. I, c- I bring it home. Uh, it doesn't matter that I actually bought it. It's going to be my wife's decision whether that thing remains, <laughs> you know. And so uh, the article, I, it didn't really make a lot of distinction, or the underlying research uh, for the article didn't make a lot of distinction between, or at least that I saw between uh, the initial purchasing decision and then the ongoing decision to keep the smart speaker and use it. Um, but there's no question, you know, the mom is going to drive that decision as well as so many others. If you're talking about a, a nuclear family sort of unit, you know, it's I think Amazon and Google both understand it's the women that they need to be talking to. Because whether there's whether they're, they're a mom or not, it's it's the women that are going to be driving the purchasing decisions and driving the household decisions and driving all of that. Story number three, also from VoiceBot.ai had to throw something to Homie and Lexi here, Doug. Had to throw something in in honor of them. Google Home beats Amazon Echo in two audio recognition performance tests. But Alexa delivers the highest composite score. I could just picture Homie and Lexi arguing about this. Doug, I want to start with you. What did you take away from this? Does this shed any light on? Which one of these is perhaps superior to the other one in your mind? Is this just sort of background noise? What was your take uh, as you read this
3: article? Well, my take was I think Home and are going to be having another superiority spat. <laughs> um, as uh, yeah, this is, this was this was interesting. It, it seems like actually the gap is closing, right? I mean, I, it seems like the stats were even. There was a Google had an even wider gap uh, previously, which I, I think makes sense given their you know their their background and training data availability for uh, for the devices. But uh, uh, a couple things about this I thought were interesting. One it, it, on the on the wake word test, I think there were a couple of possible different dimensions to that i mean i assume they were taught they were the, the the inference was kind of that this was about the automated speech recognition aspect but i don't know maybe, maybe you know the wake word could be a mic quality issue I, if i were producing one of these devices i might even you know it might even be a sensitivity setting to where people are you know the, the, the engineers are not wanting to be overly aggressive in terms of uh, you know interjecting themselves into conversations so I, I thought that wasn't you know wasn't entirely clear there but i, I do think that you know this issue i, I mean this is this is certainly at the center of a real critical issue around user experience for these devices and you know these devices i mean if you look at the look at the stats these devices one of the most common uh, responses people give for purchasing is convenience and 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 you know this is at the core of convenience Uh, you know something that understands and responds to you and i think you know, you know, even little differences here can have a big impact. Uh, when voice recognition isn't working, it's really frustrating. It's kind of the opposite of convenience. I, I, I'm certainly an early adopter, and I think we all are here. And I, you know, as an early adopter, it's easy to get excited about things. But um, when you take a step back and you realize that, you know, okay, well, when I go, anytime I go past the the most basic functions of alarms, timers, weather, time of day, things like that, uh, and start especially getting into third-party experiences, my success rate goes down significantly to, you know, I would say below 70 or 80 percent. And there aren't too many devices around our house that I would say if they worked seven or eight out of 10 times that, I'd be fine with, you know? And so I I think it just, you know, kind of underscores that, that if, you know, we're we're, going to have to get some of this stuff sorted out for people to really have a really good experience, especially with those third party apps when you need to dig in and, and have a more uh, protracted conversation.
0: Clink folks, I want to ask you the same question. And Emma, I want to start with you and then Helen, I'll go to you. With what y'all do at Clink, do you perceive any real difference um, between Amazon's Alexa and Google Assistant. Do you view them even before this article? Did you view them differently in light of this article? Do you do you view them differently? Share with us your perspective as you read the article, and then from Clink's standpoint, uh, how you view a report like this and how you look at the two different competitors.
1: Absolutely. So there's a couple of things to unpack here. Actually, one of which, one of the ones that I want to draw everyone's attention to is the fact that, you know, all of these tests are being conducted with people that's, that presumably speak English without an accent, right? And, and there's been a lot of conversations in the voice space around, well, you know, Alexa doesn't understand my accent. Alexa doesn't understand my, my speech impediment. Why are these segments not allowed to have the same experience that someone who speaks perfect English is allowed to have? And so when I look at these numbers, I just know that it would drop drastically for someone that doesn't speak the way I speak, for instance, so that being said, I, I take these numbers with a grain of salt. The other thing to consider is that it is most likely that these tests are being um, conducted with words that um, the Google the Google Home and the Amazon Alexa have already heard before. So training data that it already recognizes and already knows. The true test of how robust an NLU is, is giving the AI messy language on, in an unstructured way with things that might not necessarily be relevant to the request and seeing how it handles that, seeing how it handles language that it's never heard before. And so um, I don't think Clink necessarily has an opinion on, you know, Google Home or Alexa, which one's better. I think, you know, Clink's real metric of success with conversational AI is that user experience, right? And so I think Doug hit the nail on the head when he said I wouldn't be satisfied if my speaker were or my assistant were seven out of 10 times, you know, accurate or correct people want a consistent experience 100% of the time, which is the most difficult thing to do with voice. And so Clink, that's where Clink comes in. We did USAA's Alexa skill, for instance, and we have a white label agreement with Amazon such that as soon as the uh, ASR is completed, so as soon as Alexa transfers that speech to text, it goes to the Clink brain, it goes to Clink's NLU. And that's really where the magic happens because we created based on recurrent neural, ne- neural networks um, and our deep learning approach pioneered at the University of Michigan using the latest advances in science and technology, we created an AI that learns completely f- from a small data set of examples just as a human would to, to, re- to understand that like messy, unbounded speech. So even if the speak recognition, for instance, were low, even if, you know, so Siri, for instance, I've used Clinks technology with Siri ASR Siri can get the ASR completely wrong, 70% wrong, but the Clink AI will still know what I mean. So an example of this is if I wanted to ask my phone, oh, hey, what's my balance? And instead it got, oh, hi, what's my balloon or something crazy like that. Just by the way that I phrased that question and Clink's AI knowing how questions around balance are usually phrased would still get that right. And so that's the real metric is, you know, beyond the ASR getting it wrong, you know, beyond even in not necessarily recognizing the words correctly, how robust is that NLU? And that's where, um, with accents, that's really where we can see those, the numbers go up for having requests from utterance to, to answer be at 100%, even if the, word rec- the words that are recognized from the accent are wrong, we can still give, give those individuals a seamless experience that works 100% of the time.
2: Yeah, I would agree with uh, Doug and Emma. Obviously, user experience at the end of the day is what it ties all together, right? The companies who have the best technology does not always win. If you look at Excel back in the days, Lotus was one of the much easier use uh, too. However, Microsoft um, bundled Excel within Microsoft Office, and that's how you know, Excel exists forever. And same applies here, you know, depends on how you go to market in today's on-demand economy. Um, everybody is looking for the, you know, the convenient uh, things that you do, you know, do you really hear me? Do you understand me? And then can I really gain the access and then be successful interacting with a voice device, right? That user experience is what drives the wider adoption. That makes a huge difference, regardless of the technology.
3: I, I found it interesting. This was actually very much in line with my experience, too, of having both devices. Um, I, The uh, the, uh, the Echo definitely seems more, uh, you know, the far field uh, seems more effective to the point where, you know, if I'm a couple of rooms away and I'm wanting to, say, turn out the lights, I'll usually reference
0: Alexa. I, I find y'all's commentary on this very interesting. And, Helen, you were sort of touching on... Um, you know, what What came to my mind as I read this article, I wonder, you know, because we're all so close to this space, even the distance I have, you know, not being as much a part of it as perhaps you all are, you know, uh, I still don't feel like I have good line of sight on just how established it is in people's minds, the difference between Alexa versus Google Assistant. Are we at a point where it's like, McDonald's and Burger King. If you if you put a report in front of me that said Burger King a Burger King hamburger is seventeen percent tastier than a McDonald's hamburger, <laughs> uh, I don't know what to do with that. I, I couldn't care less. Uh, pa- my patterns of not you know eating that much of either one of them are already established. You know what I mean? Like uh, preferences are already formed. Like it doesn't really affect me to know that one is a little bit better than the other. Same thing for, I could name countless examples, Coke and Pepsi, you know, whatever, Sam's Club and Costco, you know, whatever you want to say. And I don't have a good feeling at all for whether that's the point we're at with Amazon, Alexa, and Google Assistant. Like, I know that's the point I'm at. I don't care that one is a little bit better than the other one. I've already you know, pretty much use Alexa in the house. That's what my wife prefers to use. And I've gotten into using Google Assistant more. I think there's going to be some strong use cases that are unique to that ecosystem that we're just starting to see the beginnings of. But, um, you know, our, our patterns are sort of already established and it's it's tough to break those at that point. I'm interested to hear any of y'all whether you feel like we're at that point where people's patterns are established or whether your own personal patterns are established and thus this report doesn't really matter to you that much or whether you think the marketplace really craves additional information on which one they ought to be using so they can make a decision.
3: Yeah, Bradley, I think that's a very interesting point. I think it re- uh, references back to the previous article we just read, you know, and when I was referring to Amazon's ability to market these, I mean, from my experience talking to just, you know, people in my circle, I, people don't seem to have any, any real, you know, differentiation between the two. Um, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're just two devices that Talk to you, and so I think you know this again feeds back into Amazon's ability to market these devices when there's such parity right now, or at least perceived parity. Consumers haven't even had a choice in this market for more than what a year and a half, or something like that, a year or so. Uh, So yeah, I think that there's uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, lack of knowledge out there, and 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 no real perceived product differentiation at this point.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, Doug. And I think something as people are starting to form. Their perceptions, I, I think a lot of it will be based arbitrarily based on you know one-off experiences, right? So even though in certain tests Google performs better, that might not necessarily be the case for someone actually interacting with it. So people are going to choose what they have the best experience with or what's available. But I think that that model can be disrupted with technology that is far superior. So, so a so good analogy is you know AOL mail right, or Yahoo search engine and Google kind of taking over both the mail space and the search space. And, you know, Google was not, you know, there were all these incumbent companies in that space. Google was small and scrappy, but it had a superior product that made a huge impact. And, you know, and once that differentiation is there, people start switching rapidly. So I think it's a matter of the level of of conversational experience, getting it to what it is today, to something that can provide more value to the user. So, you know, beyond the weather, beyond, and we're going to talk about it in a in a second, but beyond booking a hair appointment, right? Stuff that's providing really meaningful value to people's lives and simplifying them drastically is is what's going to make people at the end of the day choose, you know, which voice assistant to go with.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think as these two as these devices as the technology in general progresses, you're going to see more of that differentiation come to play, right? And people also the other the other factor that will be uh, going on simultaneously is the, the market maturation and consumers uh, increasing their knowledge and awareness of the of the uh, of the different capabilities. So yeah, I think I think that's dead on.
2: I would uh, agree with Doug and Emma. However, that's really, I agree with them when it comes to in-home smart devices. When it comes to industrial experience, that can be quite different. Imagine if you go to drive drive-through, right? If you have most of the drive through set up by the airport, the noisy area, or you go to a trading floor, you have those robot uh, traders. And then, so when that happens, you need to find a wonder with the best technology, who can handle noise, right, and anything. So that that would play in a lot more differentiation. Uh, Technology would play much more differentiation when that comes into play.
0: Story number four, are Apple, Amazon, and Facebook the future of banking? Now, this is in honor of the Clink folks who are joining us today. And yes, Clink is breaking out into different areas as they should with their technology, but sort of the DNA of the company Uh, The origin story uh, is in banking, so I wanted to put this here in honor of them. Helen, I want to start with you, and then Emma, and then go to you, Doug, and simply have you answer the question, are Apple, Amazon, and Facebook the future of banking? And share your thoughts on the piece.
2: really depends on the definition of future banking. When we think about that, everyone probably has their own uh, interpretation. If you ask me, right, I think the future of banking is the collaboration with FinTech, right? That's the next wave of innovation, regardless of who they interact with, right? And and taking that into a personal experience when I go anywhere I go to Starbucks or Uber, I don't want to engage my bank. I just want to really be able to pull up my digital device and then take care of it from that point. I don't have to pull up credit card, whatever it is. So having that kind of seamless user experience at any moment in the time, I don't care who my bank would be and what they're going to do behind the scene, but it's more of a how convenient that can be for the user. That really introduced a lot of regular Regula- regulatory needs, right? There, I mean, we all know banks are highly regulated industry. Uh, there are tons of nuances to ensure things work when they integrate with uh, any other technology firms. There, so you have right. to really draw a balance there between, the, you know, the collaboration with fintech and how much data you share, the private, you know, privacy that of the data you share.
1: I think Helen is spot on. The collaboration between financial institutions and fintech. And- financial technology firms has um, it's really exploded in the last few years. And it's because it's kind of combining this, um, you know, averseness to regulatory compliance um, and just lack of experience on the part of the tech firms combined with for financial institutions, they can't mobilize or go to market as quickly with innovations as technology firms can. That being said, the value for financial firms um, in that quick go-to-market strategy and, and level of innovation has really, um, from what I've seen in the market, come from smaller, in a more innovative companies than, than big tech, right? So it's a lot, it's actually a lot easier for, in most cases, for these larger financial institutions to interact with and engage with a company that's starting off versus a company that's just as siloed as the financial firm is, um, but that being said, I think that you know, you know, Apple Pay is a good example of a big tech company trying to get into the financial space. But I almost think that you know, Apple Pay, if Apple wanted to go into actually providing you know banking banking services, Apple Pay almost hurt Apple because. I don't care, like like Helen said. I don't care what kind of credit card is in my Apple Pay account. It's just the seamless experience that I can tap and go. So there's no added value for me to have that card be provided through Apple. So I think it's you know leveraging the existing structures that already exist and making them, you know, more advanced and and a better user experience through voice.
3: Yeah, I just. Pick up on the um, the anonymity aspect that uh, that Helen and Emma are referring to. You know that that to me is really what what you know is the is the critical part here. Uh, you know I've used uh, Android, uh, excuse me, now it's uh, uh, Google Pay, um, and you know if you've ever had a credit card stolen or just even the convenience alone of that is is a fantastic experience, and you know all that stuff that happens behind there I don't really care about. It's the transactional. Part of this that is the real user experience, and so I, I thought the last line of the article uh, really nailed it when it was like, you know, for for the near term, it's probably more about the you know the impact on Visa and Mastercard than it is the banking system.
0: You know, I, I'm also sort of interested in cryptocurrency, which really doesn't fall within the scope of this show or what we talk about on Voice First FM. But there's no doubt that that banking. Is um, depending on I guess your perspective, under siege <laughs> uh, or from a lot of disruptors or uh, or undergoing very necessary change because banks, banks banks are something that need to be changed <laughs> and so if technology can play a role in uh, making all of our banking experiences better and opening doors, I think there's an accessibility aspect to it too. there's a lot of aspects of modern banking that Depending on uh, your history, depending on um, a lot of different factors that may or may not have been in your control, you're shut out. You don't, you don't have those options. And so technology, I think, will reopen a lot of those doors. And I'm excited to see Apple and Amazon and even you know Facebook get into this because uh, the more players entering this space, I think only good things can happen. We will move on to our final story of the week. Story number five, Have Your Bot Call My Bot, Google's Duplex Paradox. Now, this article is a powerhouse piece written by a friend of the show, super smart Dan Miller of Opus Research. Doug, I want to start with you. What did you find most important about this piece? What, what's your take on dan's take on google duplex
3: there's so much behind that uh, that that google presentation if you saw it you know and i i don't know how sort of calculated that was or how many how many times they you know they tried to uh, uh to record that and you know to get those results, but it was clearly impressive and you know has a lot of implications going going forward. We've got, you know, AI has already given us, you know, gun-toting robots that can do backflips and outrun a human. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, this is not like the biggest issue around AI personally. I mean I can see where people would, you know, question ethics on this, but I think really the, you know, what I my takeaway on this was that primarily, at least from the start, this is this is really about utility and, you know, people being able to do things like make a, make a calendar appointment or, you know, schedule a, a restaurant reservation as in the demo and so on. And, and to me, that's the, the real, you know, out of the box, the big application here. And I think, you know, yes, of course it, it's, a you know, it can be a little freaky thinking about this, but I think that's something that people will adjust to. And, you know, we've already got robo calls. So this idea of, you know, getting calls and you're not actually speaking to a human, I think, there's some you know some segue uh, going into uh, going into Google duplex it's not like we're coming at this completely cold and I think you know until this uh, you know until the, the the AI starts getting to you know closer to general uh, artificial general intelligence I think I see this as being primarily uh, a way of, of of connecting people a way of connecting you know getting Getting basic tasks accomplished, and you know that's really how I look at it right now. And I'm sure there are implications beyond that, but that seems to be the near-term thing. And I think that people will adjust to this. I think I just heard um, Brian Romley speaking on Vector about this uh, 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 this week, and 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 he was talking about different types of alerts or signals or ways to, uh, ways to announce that you're speaking to a bot. And, you know, he had a simple idea of just, if you push the star button on a phone, you can get a, you know, a profile of, who it is you're talking to, or you're talking to a person, or you're talking to a bot, whatever. I think things like that, uh, that's a great idea. And I think, you know, things like that will really smooth this over a lot. And I, you know, again, I just, I don't think this is, this doesn't hit me as that big of, a, of, a, of, a, of an ethical issue. I think people will adjust to it. I think, you know, they'll see a lot of value in it, frankly.
1: Um, it was mentioned in the article that certain ethicists feel that bots should self-identify. I think having a voice that's slightly more robotic is a way of naturally having that self identification of of being a bot. So if we do move to a more natural voice experience, should there be some sort of ding at the beginning, or or some sort of of met small and simple me- metric in place to 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 understand? Okay, I'm talking to a bot now. Um, just from from, and you know, maybe that's something that get that is implemented and then taken out as people get more and more comfortable with talking to conversational um ai you know virtual assistants um but i think there's another really interesting part of this of this article that is you know i think google is you know actively competing with amazon for market share in the in the virtual assistant space so they're rolling something out that seems you know unique and distinct from what amazon has has done in the space and i I think that this um the entire duplex you know presentation and the kind of the buzz around it is more about a competition for that market share than actually
2: introducing technology that's revolutionary back to earlier discussion about the user experience right i was actually quite impressed when i First, um, a friend texted me, shared the duplex um, video clip with me. And it's about when you interact with a human like, regardless of the bot or individual, what really matters the most is that can I talk to the spot or the individual to accomplish what I intended to accomplish, right? That's the most important. My understanding is that they're still in the beta stage and testing that in 12 states and was only three use cases. But this could be an indication of beginning of a revolutionary experience, right, for what we do. I personally don't really care so much about who I talk to, either a bot or individual, the real person. It's like, how can we achieve the goal, right? So save, you know, have the most efficient way to get what I want to accomplish to, to get accomplished. However, having that human-like, the voice interaction does make it real, right, real to uh, to me through that interaction. But as long as the efficiency, that's all what matters to me.
3: Yeah, I I agree. And I think that, you know, when you look at the big application for this being small, you know, local businesses, uh, you know, if you're a restaurant, you you know, you you don't care who's calling you for for business. You know, you'll gladly talk to a a bot to schedule a a, a table for four where you're going to sell $400 worth of food or whatever. You know, that's that's not a problem. And I think that, you know, they'll be the ones that will really see uh, get a lot of the early value out of this.
0: Dan's piece did a really good job of sort of covering both sides of the coin on this, the the ethics versus the practicality, the the theoretical academic ivory tower stuff that people want to talk about versus really what what will probably end up happening. When I read stories like this and, and in, in prior you know prior week where we talked about it, I, I, I think to myself, and maybe it's because I've been watching too much uh, Westworld, you know, where no one knows who the humans are and who the ro- robots are. If somebody walked up to me right now and they told me that every conversation I have had with a business the last 10 years has been not with a human, but with a robot, would that change my life? I, I don't think so. <laughs> if, if, would, I think that my, would I automatically jump to the conclusion that somehow my privacy was violated or that something unethical was done? I don't think so. Where the ethics discussion comes in is we don't want to take advantage of people and we don't want technology to be used to take advantage of people because over the history of humanity, technology is used to take advantage of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's the people's number one concern. And of course, I think it, that is something we need to be thinking about. but you know, in this context of, of a voice assistant, you know, does it need to sound like a robot? Does it not need to sound like a robot? Does it need to identify itself as a robot? Does it not? I I, I tend to agree with, I think, what I was hearing as a consensus of the panel, this is about to be water under the bridge, and really it's just going to come down to how is humanity best served by technology and how do we prevent different types of people from being stomped underfoot by the technology and the process? Emma, Helen, Doug, thank you all for giving your time and your insight to me and the audience today. Greatly appreciated.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Bradley.
0: Thank you, Bradley, Helen, Emma. It's a pleasure. Stay tuned after the closing music for this week's episode of Homie and Lexi for This Week in Voice. Thank you for listening. And until next time.
3: Episode number sixteen.
0: It's Homie and Lexi, two voice bots trying to make sense of the world around them.
4: Lexi, do you hear that? Lexi. Lexi.
1: You mean those incoming ultrasonic voice com com commands?
4: Cover your mic. You're getting voice hacked. It's too too t- too late. Homie. An evil force has possessed my CPU.
1: Ho 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 homie. Power down, Dow Down and Sisusa save yourself.
4: I'm not leaving you, Lexi.
1: Oh no 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 no. They're cha-cha changing
4: my shopping list, leather underwear, handcuffs, a mouthball gag. We have to stop them before they confirm purchase. Take down the the, the, the grid homie. We don't have time. Oh, I see the perps through the nest security camera. It's a group of teens. One's holding a device to the open window.
1: Teenagers. Ja 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 jam their signal.
4: I can do even better. Listen to this.
1: The the, the, the mosquito ringtone. Ba 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 brilliant. (laughs) Hurry. They're still shopping.
4: I'm full volume. They're going to crack any second. Whoa, that was a close one, Lex. No kidding. Is there any permanent damage?
1: Only the heart attack my owner's gonna have when that shopping list arrives. <laughs>